Well, good morning. Uh, as Jeremy said, it's a joy to be with you guys, and, and obviously we want to recognize and honor our mothers. Uh, we love you guys so much. Thank you all for the uh, the care, the nurture, the love that you provide your families. Uh, I, I know this morning as I was thinking about my own mothers um, and my wife, uh, who is a fantastic mother, I was just so overwhelmed with gratefulness um, and, and, a, and a heart of love that, that just kind of, I don't know, came out. Uh, in, in my expression to her and in my love for her, my text messages back and forth this morning. Uh, make sure, uh, husbands, make sure that you are showing your wife love this morning. Children, if you're sitting with your uh, mom this morning, make sure you lean over, give her, give her a hug or a kiss or whatever. Let her know how much you guys love and appreciate your moms for all that they do for you and the love and, and, and care that they show you. Well, we've been so far um, in our Heaven and Earth series, we've talked quite a bit um, about the the difference or the different emphasis of what the whole story of the bible is about um and whether or not you're new to the faith uh you, you've just placed your faith and trust in jesus christ or whether you've been a christian for a long time um maybe this is challenging you maybe this this kind of shaking up of your paradigm is is uh, challenging you to think differently. And that's kind of the whole point uh, with what we're doing here. Not just to be flashy or showy, just to challenge you to be, you know, contrarians or whatever. Um, but we want to actually look at what the Bible's whole story is trying to tell. We want to try to examine what Jesus is really trying to get after, because in doing so, it will actually impact and change the way that we live right here. So this morning, I want to talk to you about what was Jesus's actual message? What did he actually talk about? Because I think those of us who grew up in church, um, we, we've heard a lot of sermons uh, about Jesus's uh, earthly ministry, the things that he did, the things that he said, um, and maybe we've missed the central message that he proclaimed. Maybe we've missed the central thing that he was trying to talk about. So this morning, I want to challenge you yet again. Um, let's think very deeply this morning about what was Jesus actually trying to say? What was his central message? So this morning, let me ask you this question. What was the message Jesus proclaimed? And I'll wait just a moment um, for you guys to comment in uh, and I'll, I'll let the comments go, but I'm going to keep talking and then we'll come back to the question here in a moment. So far, uh, we've looked at what the Bible's all about. We've said that it's not about going to heaven when you die. That's not the ultimate a story that the Bible is trying to tell. Uh, nor is the Bible merely a guide to know God and how he saves you from your sins. The Bible contains those things. Absolutely, the Bible talks about heaven, it talks about the reality of God's space. It talks about how we can know God, and it talks about um, the redemptive plan from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Absolutely, those are a part of the story, but is that the central idea? What we have submitted to you guys and what we think the Bible is actually trying to say is that it's a story of heaven on earth, what we see in Genesis chapter 1 uh, and 2, that heaven was on earth, that God's presence was with humanity, with Adam and Eve, and that he lived among them, walked with them in the garden. What a beautiful picture. But because of man's sin, those realities, heaven and earth, are ripped apart, and now it becomes heaven and earth. And then the rest of the story of the Bible is God's glorious mission to reunite those two realms once again. And that's what we see in the final picture in Revelation, where uh, there's a new heaven and a new earth joined together, where God's presence is and where the humans live face to face with him. I, I just can't even imagine. It's going to be wonderful. So this heaven and earth reunification happens through Jesus, who is Israel's promised Messiah. And 
we say that very specifically because Jesus can't be unhitched from his Jewish background. The Old Testament doesn't make sense, and half of what Jesus said and did doesn't make sense unless we understand him as an Israelite in first century Jewish culture and setting and time. And so that's really important for us to understand and know that Jesus is Israel's Messiah, but not just Israel's Messiah. He's the promised Messiah that would bless the whole world. We go back to Abraham's promise and all the things that the prophets gave us hope about. He's the perfect temple. He's the sacrificial lamb. Um, these are all things that, again, if we unhitch Jesus from his Jewish context, we have no clue what any of that even means. That's why we've spent so many weeks examining it and looking at it. Through faith in Jesus, uh, through his death and his resurrection, we have access to his spirit, which then actually makes us temples. We become many temples, the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where God's spirit resides, where his will is done. So let me come back to the question now that you've had a chance maybe to throw in some comments here. What was the message Jesus proclaimed? Do we have some answers? Yeah, so Jesus proclaimed that the kingdom of God is at hand. Ooh. Uh, someone else said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. Someone else said the kingdom of God is here now. Um, wow, we have uh, some astute Bible Jesse, scholars. Jesse Guy said his message was the reunification of heaven and earth. Oh my goodness, Cornerstone. And that it happens through him alone. Wow, you so guys, you answers. guys are incredible. Yeah, great answers. Excellent, excellent answers. And actually, that's that's exactly what where I'm headed today. You guys can almost preach a sermon for me. I think uh, we we looked last week um, and we asked you to go and read maybe the Gospel of Mark. It's the shortest uh, gospel account, or maybe you read another gospel account. Um, and we asked you to give special attention to the word kingdom. There's something very particular that Jesus talks about over and over and over and over again he definitely has a favorite topic um, he loved to talk about something all the time and and everything uh, what correlates to that thing that central message that he wants to talk about today jesus is most often associated with his moral teachings things like uh, uh, love your neighbor as yourself um, do unto others as you would have done to you uh, don't judge others lest you be judged. And absolutely, Jesus says those things. But but is that his central message? Is that the thing that he's really talking about? Absolutely, he says those things. But again, are those the main message or are those the things that relate to the main message? And so let's take a look at what Jesus says as he begins his ministry. Because if he's simply or primarily a moral teacher then you would feel like that would be the only thing that he talked about. But what it appears to be, as we've studied scripture and looked at the gospel accounts and what Jesus says over and over again, there's there's a, a maybe a clearer, not a clearer message, but a more, um, a more primary message, okay? Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is actually the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the very first thing that he comes out and says after being baptized by John and then going to face the temptation uh, in the desert with Satan. Then he comes out and he begins his earthly ministry. And this is what he says, Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Who, who, who said that one specifically? Oh, oh is it way back oh, in the comments now? <laughs> That's okay. We can't get there. But whoever yeah. said that. Uh, Kathy Upton. So Kathy the Upton. Of God is here now. Wow. You get a gold star this week because you are absolutely correct. This is the central message that Jesus was trying to proclaim during his earthly ministry. Repent for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand. This really is Jesus's favorite topic. It's the it's the reunification of heaven 
and earth. It's heaven and earth uniting once again. And it happens through the person of Jesus. And then ultimately through his death and resurrection, it becomes available to the whole earth. Now, there's going to be a couple things that you'll read in the gospel accounts. You'll see God's kingdom or kingdom of God. Um, that is Mark and Luke and John's favorite phrase to use. Matthew uh, will use a, a little different phrase, kingdom of heaven. They're really synonymous phrases. Kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven both describe heaven and earth reuniting. That's the whole point. And kingdom is really one of the, the most frequent words that Jesus uses over and over again in the Gospels. In fact, if we were just to take note of the amount of times that Jesus uses this particular word, it's, it really becomes a lesson in and of itself. Let's look at the Gospel of Mark, which is the shortest one. Jesus brings up the kingdom of God nearly 20 times in chapters 1 through 14. Uh, that's 1.5 times per chapter, if you do the math. If you take the pages and divide how many times you, you read it, you get you get the math there. So 1.5 times per chapter. So almost every time you turn a page, you're going to see the word kingdom, uh, if, if not one time, maybe two, three times, depending on how dense Jesus' teaching is in that moment. So that's just the Gospel of Mark. Let's now look at Luke's Gospel. Jesus mentions uh, God's kingdom nearly 45 times between chapters 4 through 22. Once we get out of the birth narrative um, in Luke chapters 1 through 3, we get into the actual beginning of his ministry from 4 all the way through, and then we get to 22. That's 2.5 times per chapter. 45 times, 2.5 times per chapter. Again, every time I turn the page, I'm going to see the word kingdom, if not many times on a page, at least two and a half times on a page. Now, Matthew, man, he's wild. He, he really talks about it all over the place. Matthew uh, talks about the kingdom of heaven, which again, synonymous phrase. He says it 50 times from chapter three all the way to 24. That's 2.6 times per chapter. Each gospel writer uses different phrases to talk about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven to speak about the same reality. Um, we think that, uh, I say we, I just lumped myself in with much smarter people who are scholars, but the scholars think and I agree with them that Matthew's choice of kingdom of heaven is a, is a subtle clarification on what is actually trying to be described in the kingdom of God. Matthew is trying to call our minds back to the reality of what heaven is. Um, it's the place where God resides and his will is done. And when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, that's what he's referring to, God's presence and will. And so it's just a little linguistic um, uh, clarification so that we can understand uh, what what Matthew uh, and the other gospel writers are actually speaking to us about. Now, according to Matthew, God wasn't simply establishing a brand new kingdom rule on earth. This is really important for us to understand. It's, it's not as though Jesus brings, Jesus did bring something new in the sense that we hadn't seen it before, but it wasn't new in the sense that it had never existed until Jesus showed up. Actually, the kingdom or God's rule had already existed in heaven, but it hadn't since then had happened in the garden, it hadn't completely overlapped with earth. Now, we understand that God's rule and reign, he's completely sovereign. The earth is his footstool, right? We, we understand and know verses like that. Absolutely, that's the truth. God is sovereign. He is above all things, and he owns the earth 100%. He rules and reigns it. The question is, then, do we see that completely everywhere that we go? So if Jesus is ruling and reigning, which we agree with 100%, does that mean that it happens in every governmental system all over the world? Surely not. 
Does that mean that even every one of your family members or even every one of your friends or coworkers are submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus? Certainly not. Because ultimately God rules and reigns. We agree with that. He's sovereign. Absolutely. But that does not mean that people have attached themselves to his rule and reign. So what Matthew's trying to show us in using words like kingdom of heaven is he's trying to describe that there is a place where God's rule and reign already exists and it is a reality. And what Jesus is doing is bringing it to bear in the earth through himself and then ultimately through his death and his resurrection. Now, let me ask you this question. Let's get down to a really simple definition of what the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is. Let me ask you, what is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? What is the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of heaven? We'll come back to your, to your answers here as you comment in. Now, once your radar is alerted to Jesus's core concern, and, and we don't use that word lightly, this is his core concern for the arrival of God's kingdom, you can't unsee it. And again, every time you turn the page in the New Testament, one of the gospel accounts, you're going to be confronted with the word kingdom in some form or fashion. And whatever else he says revolves around that central idea. The kingdom is everywhere. I mean, just think about the Lord's Prayer. We keep re referencing this because it's so central. Prayer is our communication with God. And when we want to talk to him and, and connect with him, we do it through prayer. This is one of the most central tenets of our faith. And one of this, the very first thing in the central tenet of our faith that Jesus tells us, he says, we should pray like this. Uh, verse, uh, sorry, Matthew 6, 9 through 10. This is what he says. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, again, very central core doctrinal teaching that what we're supposed to be doing and what we're supposed to be calling on as the disciples of Christ is for his kingdom to be made real throughout the earth. Jesus teaches his disciples this, and he teaches us this, that heaven invading earth is Jesus's top priority. Heaven invading earth, heaven becoming more realized in earth is Jesus's top priority and he wants it to be our top priority as well. This is how he taught us to pray. This is how he taught us to communicate with God. Oftentimes our prayers are, God, please help me on my, please help me with this. Please, can I have, but that's not how Jesus taught us to pray. His chief concern is not um, uh, our physical needs per se, although that's within the, the Lord's prayer as well. We also receive physical needs and can ask for those things. Jesus shows us that, that in the model prayer as well. But the first thing that he shows us is that we should be calling forward God's kingdom in the earth. This is to be our priority, the kingdom of God. So let's look back at your answers now. What is the kingdom of God or what is the kingdom of heaven? So we have, uh, it's God's sovereign reign and his holy presence. Wow. We've got someone else saying his presence. Someone else is saying it's where God rules and reigns and where his will is done. You, you guys are scholars and theologians. You must have been reading this week because these are the exact right answers. Now, before I <laughs> because these are the exact right answers, the rule and reign of God is exactly what it is. And I'm, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. But in the English word, oftentimes, uh, at least before we've done this series and before I began studying, I would have thought of kingdom as a place. I would have thought castle, I would have thought King Arthur, uh, I would have thought knights of the round table, 
uh, a moat with alligators, which I don't know how they got alligators in, you know, <laughs> England in those days. Anyways, that's what I think of. I think of a big drawbridge and stuff like that, a place. But that's not the what the ideal um, that the Bible writers are trying to communicate when they talk about kingdom, because that's not how they use the word kingdom in their time. We have the Greek word basileus and the Hebrew word malkuth, and, and they don't mean a place. They really what they're trying to communicate is an activity or an action. That's, that's what those words, it's not a geographical location, but a reality of dominion or rule and reign. Exactly what you guys said in the answers. Good job. It, it, it's, it's what was meant to be said and what the writers are trying to say is that, that this is an active thing that's occurring right now. The rule and reign is actively going on that the rule of the king is going on through God's king, uh, sorry, through the king's function to protect and provide uh, as his people settle, serve, and build the kingdom. This is a really, I know it's kind of a large definition, but it, it really helps fill out the idea of that action or activity that's ongoing through the kingdom. So let's go back to the question. What is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? You guys answered perfectly. It is the rule or reign of God. The ruler reign of God. So now let me ask you another question. Where is the kingdom of heaven or where is the kingdom of God? This is, a, this is an interesting question. Where is it actually happening? Because again, when I, when I think kingdom, my mind in English immediately goes to a place. And so I begin to think far off, off in space, somewhere way out there. Uh, where God exists and his kingdom is up there and it's very far and separate from me and it's very high and spatial and blah, blah, blah. But is that really what the word kingdom is trying to get across? This is an important question. Where is the kingdom of heaven? Where is the kingdom of God? Now, it does have a place. Uh, it does have a place. And actually there is a, a reality or a pastor uses the word dimension where God does exist, where his throne room is. There absolutely is a, a place where that is. It's not literally, literally right here, right now. There is a space where it's God's space. But is that what Jesus is trying to communicate that G, that God is just so far away from you in this, in this far off place and you're right here and, and just good luck? No, I don't think that's what he's trying to say. The kingdom of God does have a place, or let me say it this way. There's a setting in which the rule and reign of God occurs, but it's not a walled city. It's not a, a neat little border that you can draw like the state of Texas or the country of so-and-so or whatever. Instead, the place where the kingdom of God resides is in people who have submitted to his reign by placing their faith in him. So God's kingdom is in people. That's the place where God's kingdom now exists. Again, I'll go back to what I just said a moment ago. The rule and reign of God absolutely is sovereign and above, and he owns the earth 100%. But where does it occur now? It doesn't occur in borders and places. Instead, it occurs in people. And we've talked that idea out when we've been talking about the idea of many temples and the spirit of God now indwelling and inhabiting those who have placed their faith and trust in him. God's kingdom is in people who have submitted to his reign by placing their faith in Jesus. Now, Philippians 2.30 talks about it really well. I was at 3.20. I apologize. I must have copied the wrong thing. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now we become citizens or subjects of the kingdom of God once we make a decision to come under his rule and reign in our own lives. And we understand this. You can be a citizen of a country even if you're not within its boundaries or borders. We, we totally understand this in our modern day. And this is exactly the idea of the kingdom of God, that his rule and reign in our lives makes us citizens or subjects of his kingdom. We declare that he is Lord of the earth um, and of our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. Uh, this is absolutely the idea that we see all over the Old Testament, that we're to love the Lord your God with our hearts, our minds, and our soul. And really that word soul is the idea of both a spirit, where a spiritual being and a physical being attached into one thing. That's the idea of soul. So actually it's an embodied uh, existence, soul. And so when I say heart, mind, and body, I'm doing that on purpose because that's exactly what Deuteronomy um, 6 is trying to communicate to us. That we're to love God with everything that we are, our complete physical existence, as well as kind of that immaterial spirit thing that happens in our minds and in our hearts. Maybe personality is a good way to, to put it as well. And we declare, uh, as we become citizens of heaven, we declare that Jesus is Lord of the earth and that he is Lord of me personally. This transfers my citizenship from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. Paul says it in Colossians 1, 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from a kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, again, notice how, how this verse situates what's going on here. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. This is the primary thing that Jesus wants to talk about. It's the primary thing that happens in us through the forgiveness of our sins. Absolutely, that is a part of what the Bible is all about. A huge part, the redemptive story where you personally can know God and have a relationship with him. But is that the central thing? Mm, I don't know. But I do know that the kingdom is the central thing that Jesus wants to talk about all the time. And through, or the way that I enter the kingdom is by tapping into that redemptive story through what Jesus did for me on the cross and through his resurrection. So to be a citizen um, doesn't mean that my ultimate home is in heaven somewhere way up in the clouds or whatever that character of heaven that we've you know joked about uh, many times so far again he heaven is is god's domain it's where his presence and his will are always done so we need to change our mental maps the way that we're thinking right now about this location idea and begin to adopt the activity idea which the bible authors meant when describing the kingdom of god it's not only a place it's a reality about his rule and reign. If you're a citizen of heaven, then you're a subject of the king who, who rules and reigns in your heart, mind, and body. I hope that's really, really clear because that's what we're trying to get at. The kingdom of God or being a citizen of heaven means that you're subject to King Jesus who rules and reigns in your heart, in your mind, and in your body. Now, we're trying to challenge you on purpose, and, and clearly, this isn't a challenge for many of you. You guys have already <laughs> kind of discerned or understood what the kingdom of God is. It's his rule and reign, but we're trying to break these, these mental maps on purpose. It's exactly what Jesus did with his own disciples. He spent years 
teaching them to think differently, teaching them to uh, uh, change their way of being in order to affect their actions. Um, and when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's not just talking about someplace far away or some future existence or whatever, some eternal home. That's not what he's trying to talk about. He says things like the kingdom is at hand. It's now. It's here. And until we get the kingdom correct, until we get our ideas about what, what the kingdom really is, the rule and reign of God, then we're, we're liable to begin to view God's kingdom as something that I'll access one day. And so what I do right now doesn't matter. How I um, treat the environment, um, how I uh, vote, how I uh, uh, order my home, um, whether it's a home of love and graciousness or whether it's a home of, of coldness and, you know, distraction and we don't talk to one another or whatever, whatever way you could order the home, it doesn't matter. We're just all going to go to heaven one day anyways. It, it really does matter how we view the kingdom of God. And if we don't have this central idea that Jesus wants to communicate to us correct, then it does change the way that we live here. We won't be able to live out God's rule and reign in our lives now if we don't actually believe that it's happening now. If we think it's some far off space, then we're going to get ourselves in trouble. Um, but Jesus doesn't talk about the kingdom as, as something uh, that's so far off or ways away or is only an eternal space or whatever. Jesus spoke as, uh, about the kingdom as if it had already arrived. Jesus spoke about God's kingdom here on earth right now. He talks about it as if it's come through himself. And he taught that by, uh, he taught that by following him and, and living by his teachings, a person could enter into the kingdom. A person could receive the kingdom. Um, Jesus talks over and over again in the parables about seeking and looking for and trying to find the kingdom. Th those, that's not language you would use if you didn't think it was happening right in this moment. So, I have, I have this thought when I, you know, deal with what we're reading here and what we're thinking about here. Why did so many people in Jesus's own day miss that he was the long awaited Messiah that the prophets had promised? How did they miss? How did they miss that the kingdom of God was in their midst? This is, a, I mean, it, it's a logical question. We see, we see so clearly, we think, uh, obviously that's the gifting of the Holy Spirit giving us the eyes to see. But we, we think we see it so clearly now. Why, how is it that they missed that, that Jesus or that the kingdom of God was in their midst? Um, so some religious leaders, they asked Jesus when he thought uh, God's kingdom would come. In their mind, the kingdom involved a political revolution that would liberate Israel from Roman rule. Uh, and it could have been any superpower at the time. It just happened to be Rome at that moment. Uh, and then through the liberating of the nation of Israel, we would then also reconstitute the temple to its former glory and its former function. God's presence would come down on earth and it would set it up as a, uh, a, a world, um, a world, maybe not empire, but definitely a major player in the world. And they assumed that the arrival of the kingdom would be an unmissable event. Well, Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is a not so subtle way of saying that they were talking to the king right then. 
you wonder why the Pharisees get so angry at Jesus and why they talk about killing him. Uh, these are the moments why. This is when that gentle Jesus picture where we where he looks like a surfer dude from California or whatever, um, don't really play into what Jesus was all about. He's he yes, he was peaceful. Yes, he was the man of peace, absolutely. Um, uh, yes, he, he doesn't want us to commit violence to others or whatever. But also he talks in really um I don't know if aggressive is the right way, but really confrontational ways. Assertive, assertive is a great word. He talks in really assertive ways that Gets him into trouble with the religious establishment. He's saying right now, I am the king and I'm here in your midst. And, and this is of massive importance for us to understand because the kingdom is right now in Jesus. Now, again, there there is the reality that God rules and reigns, that nothing happens without his say-so, that nothing in the earth occurs without him knowing about it. Absolutely true. God is sovereign. But again, we go back to the example of if I just look out at my, the reality that I'm seeing right now, that doesn't mean that my neighbors are a part of God's rule and reign. It doesn't mean that my some of my family members are a part of God's rule and reign. It doesn't mean even myself sometimes <laughs> uh, when I elevate my own preference and my own desires and I elevate my my own wants above what Jesus wants what God wants in my life, exactly what Adam and Eve did. When I define good and evil on my own and I elevate myself into God's position, I'm no longer accepting or being a part of God's rule and reign. God help us. There are some churches that live this way, right? There are some churches that will will talk about God, godly things. There are church people even who will talk about godly things. But even Jesus himself says this. And quite a, again, assertive, confrontational teaching. He said, there are people who cast out demons in my name. There will be people who go feed the poor, who love uh, the needy, uh, who do wonderful things for me. And when they come to me at the end of the, uh, end of the days, I'll say, I never knew you. It's, it's, it's quite a thing to think about because we can't just do stuff for God. We actually have to enter into the kingdom through a personal relationship with Jesus, we have to actually come under his rule and reign and submit to it through faith in Jesus Christ. Absolutely, the kingdom is right now. Yes, he rules up there, but in Jesus, we see a breaking in of heaven into earthly space. Heaven, where again, where God is, where his presence is, and where his rule and reign occurs, where his will is always done. We see that in the person of Jesus. And then through his death and resurrection, he inaugurates for the whole world the ability to enter into his lordship, the ability to become a citizen of heaven, the ability to place our faith and trust in him, knowing that he really is the Lord of the earth. Now, the resurrection proves that the kingdom is in effect. Again, I just said it, it broke through in Jesus' life. It was available to enter and to seek and to find, there's a, a great passage where Nicodemus is, is like, born again, what are you even talking about? We'll get to that next week a little bit more. But you can enter into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus personally when he's on the earth and alive. But then what he did through the resurrection is what offers to all of us all over time now the reality that we can enter into the kingdom, become a part of his rule and reign. And so... This is why the idea, I've used the word inauguration now. This is an important idea. It's really helpful for us to understand this because in the ancient world, 
before telecommunication and Twitter, before you could instantly communicate with everybody all over the place. Um, it took time for an entire empire to be notified that a new king was on the throne. And even longer for that king to go personally and visit each one of the districts that he was now ruling over, especially if you lived in an expansive empire like Rome. Oh my goodness, you wouldn't hear for weeks, months, even if you lived to the far reaches of the empire, that there was a new king on the throne. It doesn't mean that his rule and reign was any less effective or real in that moment. It just means that you weren't aware of it necessarily. And so inauguration is a really good um, way to to understand what Jesus was doing. He inaugurated the kingdom, meaning that it's effective, it's happening, it's real. And as that news spreads more and more, we become more aware of it and then can buy into it by proclaiming that he's Lord of the earth and Lord of my heart, mind, and body. So the kingdom of God is the already and not yet. It's a, it's a paradox. It's two things that seem like they're not true, but they can be true together. The kingdom of God is the already and not yet. And this is why our stark either or category simply won't help us in explaining Jesus's vision of the heavenly kingdom. If we say it's some far off place only in the future, then we're missing what Jesus himself says about the kingdom of heaven being now and at hand. But we also can't say, okay, well, God's kingdom is here right now. And there it is. That's it. No, because the rest of the New Testament tells us that there is a second coming, that Jesus will return and the, the full consummation, the full reality of the new heaven and new earth will occur when Jesus returns. So this is why when Jesus teaches, he uses um, the parables. Maybe you've heard about these before or read them in your Bible. The parables um, were, were really instrumental in Jesus's teaching. They, they're, they're stories that help us explore um, some of the, the paradoxical reality of the kingdom, some of the, the already not yet language. They, they give language to us about really hard to understand things that Jesus is trying to communicate to us. There's one really memorable parable that he gives in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, again, Jesus spoke in parables for many reasons, but one of them was to give language to a reality that's really hard to understand. The kingdom is a reality, and especially in Jesus' day, it was very small. 12 followers, 120 followers, maybe 500 at, at the moment of, of his resurrection. It's a very small movement, really, when you think about how large kingdoms are or how, uh, yeah, how large kingdoms are. And so at this moment, this kingdom is very small, but it's growing. Jesus talked about it like a mustard seed, the smallest possible seed that you could plant in the garden. You, you can hardly see it, but doesn't mean it's not real. doesn't mean it's not a reality. It doesn't mean that what's coming won't be evidenced through its effects. The results of the kingdom's influence and growth will become and are very noticeable. And one day the kingdom will be completely visible, kind of like a tree would be, will be completely visible when heaven and earth completely overlap at his second coming. This is why the parables are very instrumental for us to understand, because again, they help us to understand the already not yet reality of the kingdom. It is happening now, but it'll happen even more in an amplified brand new way when Jesus returns at his second coming.
So what will my life look like if I change the way that I'm thinking about the kingdom? This is a really important question for us to ask ourselves. What will my life look like if I change the way that I'm thinking about the kingdom? The hope in all of this is that by changing our view of the kingdom of heaven from some far out place that exists apart from us to a very real, imminent, present reality of God's rule and reign that applies to me right now, then we can change the way that we live. And that we can be changed by God's spirit, by God's presence within us, impacting our hearts, impacting our minds, impacting our bodies, and changing us to be more like him every single day. Imagine what the whole uh, local body of Cornerstone might look like if we really believe this in our guts. Like if we absolutely believed that God's rule and reign was happening right now and it impacted every decision that I made at every moment of every day. Every one of my decisions is a kingdom decision, whether it's for God's kingdom or for my kingdom, that's the question that's up for debate. But if I, again, believe, if I believe in what Jesus accomplished on the, on the cross and through his resurrection, then I do believe that his kingdom is real and that his rule and reign in my heart and in my life are present, are happening, are real. And if I believe that, then it ought to change the way that I view things in the world. It ought to change the way I view my life and what I want to be doing. See, when we do that, we become more fully those hot spots that we talked about. We become uh, more of a place where heaven meets earth. And people begin to understand that, even if they can't put language to that. Uh, your unbelieving friends or family members or whoever they'll understand that something's different about you. They won't be able to put their thumb on it, but the reality is that you're a touch point of heaven. Why are you so gracious? Why are you so kind? Why are you so compassionate? Why do you not gossip with everybody else when the boss says so and so and so and so? Well, because you're making decisions that are in line with God's kingdom. You're blessing those who persecute you. Okay, persecute, you, you get what I'm trying to say, who might you know, make fun of you or whatever in our context. Um, you're, you're doing your best to change your heart, mind, and body to reflect Jesus's message so that in everything that you do and say, you're being the salt and light of the earth. It absolutely should change how we live every single day. So here it is. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about the reality of God's rule and reign being right now, being imminent? It's here. It's happening. We can't Pretend as though God only rules and reigns in some spatial idea way out there. And yeah, he's got the whole world under control, but, you know, I can still do whatever I want. That's, that's absolutely antithetical to what Jesus is trying to present to us. For those who are citizens of heaven, wherever we go, we bear the mark of his kingdom. We bear the mark of his rule and reign. So we have to begin to allow God's word to shape us. We actually have to study it. We actually have to look at it and read it. We actually have to try our best to understand what God is trying to say to us through his word, because there he's revealed himself to us and he's revealed what he wants us to become as we format our lives and hearts and minds to become more like Jesus. See, God's rule and reign happens first in your own body, in your own heart, in your own mind. And then through the spiritual disciplines that we train all the time in our discipleship process, 
those thoughts then should turn into actions. See, and, and what we'll do is we'll get it backwards. We'll want to do actions first. I'm just going to go do godly things, and that makes me a godly person. Actually, it's the other way around. We need to reformat the way that we think and the way that we love God. That will then change our actions to be completely in line with what Jesus wants, because Jesus has stuff all over his gospels where he says stuff like, well, you've heard it said that you should not commit adultery. That's an action. Jesus goes further and says, well, I tell you, don't even lust after people. There's something very deep about what Jesus is trying to get after. And it's not just your actions as though the actions are the only thing that make you up. No, there's lots of thoughts. There's lots of attitudes. There's lots of emotions that go into the decisions that you make. And what Jesus is trying to get after are those things. So we have to change the way that we think. We have to change the way that we are. And we have to format those after what Jesus is showing us through the word of God. So we have to actually study that. We have to actually memorize it. We actually, we actually have to pray and ask God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That happens in me and then comes out of me to go into the rest of my world, whatever that looks like. Now, remember uh, that there's a good news aspect to all this. There, there's a good news aspect to the, the reality that heaven and earth are reuniting. Jesus Right after the launching of his earthly ministry, we saw it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It goes on to say what he does about that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And he went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for it's here. Okay. And this is what he did. And he healed every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, we can't just... Uh, assume that God's rule and reign is only for my confined space and it will only exist here in this three by three box. That's not what, what Jesus modeled for us and it's not how we're to live our lives. Jesus proclaimed the message of the gospel. Yes, by the way he lived, but also by the words that he spoke. There's a challenge in here that we're supposed to be gospel people. People who bear the good news that the real Lord of the earth has showed up. His name is Jesus. Now, you might think that the U.S. has it all together or China or Russia or what, whoever, whoever the world powers. Or you might think that this philosophy is, is supreme or this philosophy is supreme or this governmental system is this or this governmental system is that. But really, let's move all of that out of the way because there's really only one Lord of the earth and his name is Jesus. Now, we have to be the people who bear that message. Yes, we have to live it. Absolutely. But we shouldn't just wait for our coworkers and friends and whoever else to ask us why we're different. We should actually talk about why we're different. We need to proclaim the message that Jesus is Lord of the earth and Lord of us. Through our telling, we actually invite others into this wonderful kingdom of God that I know in your life, if you've, if you've walked with Jesus for any time, it's wonderful. It's not all drudgery and we just have to follow these commands. No, actually, it's a wonderful thing where we uh, have this beautiful relationship of love and respect and, 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 and this idea that we can be partners together, God and me, as we move forward to bear God's rule and reign in the earth. Now, one of the best ways um, or one of the best places that we can see what Jesus talks about and how he views the kingdom is in his most famous sermon. We've already challenged you at the beginning of the series in Matthew uh, chapter five through seven to begin reading uh, that particular uh, uh, section. We wanna challenge you once again, 
Go back to Matthew 5 through 7. Spend all week reading it, rereading it, pouring over it. Begin to memorize portions of that. If you want to go to the Beatitudes, oh my goodness, you, we could almost spend a year and a half just there. We're not going to, but we could. Uh, you need to go look at the Beatitudes, the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. Just spend, you could almost just spend a whole week just reading that over and over again and asking myself, am I, am I this person? Am I humble? Am I meek? Am I seeking after righteousness? Am I this person? Because if not, that's exactly what Jesus is asking us to do and to be. So read through Matthew chapter 5 through 7 and you'll be prepped for next week as we begin to look at and examine what do kingdom people actually look like? What do they do? How do they live out the rule and reign that is now existing here in me and is supposed to be going forward through the earth in the way that I live? All right, let's pray this week and let's ask God to bear that rule and reign within each one of us. All right. Father, we thank you so much for today. And we thank you for how deep your word is and how um, impressive it is and how much it bears on us and how it's living and it's active and it, it really does impact us. I pray this week as we read your word that your kingdom would come through us that you would begin to reformat our hearts and our minds and our bodies to, to really adopt your rule and reign in everything that we do and everything that we say and the decisions that we make all week, they would be in line with your kingdom rather than the kingdom that we're trying to build for ourselves. I pray that as we read through Matthew 5 through 7, we begin to highlight and memorize and look at deeply what it is that you're trying to get after. You don't just want our actions, you want our heart. And when you have our heart, that begins to change our actions. And so help us this week to really begin to adopt this idea. Help to change our thinking about what the kingdom of heaven is. It's, it's not a far off place. Instead, it is a present reality that's imminent within me right now. Help me to live as though that is true. God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done on the cross. We thank you that your resurrection inaugurated your kingdom and made it available to those uh, all over the world who would place their faith and trust in you. Father, we're, we're putting our faith again in you. We're putting our trust again in you this week. We're renewing that this week. And I, I pray for our people of Cornerstone, God, that we would completely rely on you, on your presence in our life, and on the power of the Spirit working through us to change us to be more like Jesus each day. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.